Good morning. Like Pastor Laura said, I'm Lewis. I am, uh, I'm our online campus pastor. I think most of you are used to seeing me in a box about this big. Um, and, uh, but I'm really glad to be here with you all today. It, it's an honor uh, to get to share with you just a little bit about my thoughts on holy days. The first time that I ever experienced a holy day, something that outside of the church realm was kind of one of those red letter star days that I will never forget in my entire life. And that was April the 8th, 1974. Now I know that's kind of a weird to be that specific, but I was um, eight years old and it was a tradition in my house. It didn't matter what was going on in the rest of the world or the rest of our lives. We went to Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio to opening day. We were a baseball family. We're still a baseball family. We have, uh, my dad played pro ball when he was growing up and um, baseball was a way of life in my house. There was a baseball in my crib when I came home from the hospital. I mean, baseball was life. Um, and every year, my father would pull me out of school and he and I and my mother would go to Riverfront Stadium and go to opening day of the season. In those days, especially you know, back in the 70s and earlier, um, the first baseball game of every season was played in Cincinnati. And in 1974, we had the, the ability to watch the Reds play the Atlanta Braves um, on opening day. And I was in, I was probably here to you from the field. We had great seats on Cincinnati's side of the dug, uh, dugout side of the field. Um, the other thing that, that was kind of special about this day, and this is what made it a holy day for me, was um, I, I was going to get to see Hank Aaron play. And I had seen Hank play before in Atlanta, but this day in particular was, was different. Uh, you see, on the final game of the season before, Hank hit his 713th home run which meant that he was one home run away from tying Babe Ruth's all-time home run record. And, it was in, and he was going to be playing in Cincinnati that week. Now, my dad, always the pragmatic, pragmatist, told us several times, now listen, they're not, probably not even going to let Hank hit this weekend, this week, because they want him to break that record in Atlanta. Okay, that's cool. I'm going to get to see him hit anyway. So uh, first time, first inning, Hank comes striding out of the dugout. And if you've ever seen pictures of Hank Aaron, he was a big man. And uh, he came striding out of the dugout with, with his bat. And I took his picture just because. I had one of those, you know, thin little cameras. You remember what I'm talking about? The, the skinny little cameras. I took his picture. Little did I know that I was watching him come to the plate and hit number 714. It was a holy day, not just in my life, but in a lot of people's lives. You would have thought we were having church in there and it wasn't even his home ball field. It was a massive celebration. Those are the kinds of things that I want to look at today as we look at these shared moments of holy these shared moments that, that breathe life into who you are and breathe life into what you are 
Um, and so this summer we're exploring how we can press play in our lives. And to be honest, historically, this particular weekend is one that we can figure this out just a little bit, right? Fourth of July weekend, you know, our culture celebrates things. We love, you know, as Americans, what do we love to do? We love to be together in the same place. Hamburgers, hot dogs, apple pie, right? Apple pie, there's an apple pie sitting on the counter at my house right now that I am, I'm just, no offense to y'all, I love y'all, but I need to get home to that pie, okay? I need to get home to that pie. Um, but this weekend is something that it's, it's a, has the potential to celebrate something meaningful, life-giving, and relational. And I think that's one of the keys. When we've, whether we're looking at my first week in April, uh, Independence Day, Labor Day, things that bring us together as people, it's, it's more than just a calendared event. How many of you guys carry around a calendar in here. I, I mean, I do. It, it, this is my life, okay? I don't know if you noticed when I came up while the bumper was playing, I had to come up and I had to turn two alarms off so that they wouldn't go off while I was up here uh, today. I have alarms that remind me when to do things for church online. And I, I'm, I get nervous because I'm going to be up in front of people and my alarm's going to go off. And I'm gonna be, mm -mm. But I had to do that. But the calendar tends to rule my life. Because one, I'll forget things. If I don't get them in my calendar, I'll forget them. But two, it gives me an opportunity to see what's coming in the coming days and weeks that has the potential to be a holy day. Um, just because there's a lot of stuff on your calendar doesn't mean that there's necessarily a bunch of holy days on your calendar. Right? It seems like there's a lot of options, there's a lot of potential there, but we got to capture the ones that we can lean into, that we can wrap our hands around, wrap our arms around, and wrap our minds around, and treat them as holy. Now, our calendar, which can tell us when these days are coming, can't necessarily tell us what a holy day is. I mean, mine doesn't. Mine just says you got this to do and this to do. One of the things that comes up on the calendar every week, I'm sure, I know it does for you, it does for me, obviously, is Sunday morning, right? We have this rich tradition in our church, not just our church, but the big C global church, that we've had the Sabbath as the standard of holy day, right? It's a shared connection between God's creative moment and his people. Seven days it took him, right? Six days he built, six days he created, six days he created things like life and breath and earth and stars. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And you know, and that's one of the things that we do. Um, we rest, we worship. Um, whether it's on a Saturday, some traditions rest and declare Sabbath on Saturday, some are on Sunday. That's not the point. The point is that you take that seventh day and you rest and you worship and you do and think of things of God. And so, you know, Moses brought that down early on, right? Said, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For in six days, God made heaven, earth, and sea and everything in them. 
He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath day. He set it apart as a holy day. That's from the message. I like that because it says he set it apart as a holy day. So this summer, the big question for us is to wrestle with is how are we going to learn how to press play better? And if in God's big creative plan, he set apart a day, one day per week is holy. Is it possible that there might be days or events or things that for us is beyond a Sunday that can impact our lives as holy? These moments that are set apart, whether they're regular or annual events, you know, they're deemed non-negotiable. It was non-negotiable at my house that we did, we did not miss opening day. It didn't matter what was going on. We planned our whole lives around not missing opening day. It was not negotiable, but it was also a holy day for us because we were together as a family. We were sharing in something that all of us loved, even my mother, who used to say she didn't like baseball, but she knew stats better than the rest of us did. So, but we were sharing in something that we all loved. So the question becomes, in these events, can they get hardwired into our planning in such a way that they become holy? And the quick answer is yes. Because anything good and anything that grows life carries God's potential for holy. Anything that's good, anything that grows life has the potential for God to make it holy. In our scripture that Laura read for us today, we hear the story of the Hebrew people and the fact that they came crashing into a reminder of the law of Moses. And through that, they found a holy day. And according to the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, the Jews in Jerusalem were exiled and they were distributed. They were all over the place because of the conflict with Persia. The temple and the city walls in Jerusalem, gone, flattened. People native to Jerusalem had left the city to find safety somewhere else and sanctuary. The people of Jerusalem had not only lost their identity, but they had also lost their connection to God. We know that Nehemiah and Ezra were both big contributors to the Jewish people recovering their identity. They played a huge role in that. We know that Nehemiah was instrumental in helping rescue the identity of the people, bring them all back together, and rescue the identity, most importantly, of Jerusalem. By leading the people to rebuild the wall and the temple. And he did all that wall stuff in 52 days. It's really quick. Jerusalem, while not a huge city, it's not so small that it wouldn't take a long time to build a wall around. He, did it in 50, he helped lead that in 52 days. So here's, here's what Nehemiah 8 says, and, and Laura read this for us. And all the people gathered as one person at the public square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. 
And he read from it before the public square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And the Jewish people that Ezra found that early morning at the water gate were hungry for something. They may or may not have really known what they were hungry for, but they had, he had their attention. In their exile, their lives had been struggling to find hope and meaning. His voice held the key to the encouragement that would be the collective spirit of their discouragement. He would encourage them through that. And it goes on in uh, verses 5 and 6 to say that, Then Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all of the people answered, Amen, Amen, with the raising of their hands. Then they kneeled down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Israelites found themselves surrounded with others that were longing for the same longings, moved by the same truth, and changed by a powerful moment. They could look around, they could look at each other, and they could see who they were once again because they were together. Then he goes on to say, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go eat the festival foods, drink the sweet drinks, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the Lord your God is your refuge. A holy day had been established. The games were changed. And the Israelites experienced all of this together. Through the hearing of the law, they were able to be restored. So maybe today this is confirmation for you of the holy days in your life. Maybe you find yourself wanting more of these experiences in your life. Regardless of which camp you find yourself in, God wants to help you cultivate holy experiences. Why? Because holy days magnify who God is. They make him more famous and they foster God's kingdom building. Pathways, humanity, they foster all of that together. I want to do just a little bit of an experiment. There's enough of you in here that you can do this. Turn to somebody that's close to you and tell them what your favorite regularly scheduled event, not church, is. Now, the key is regularly scheduled. Okay, regularly scheduled. Tell them what that is. I'll give you just a second to talk about that. Love hearing giggles. So, anybody want to share? What would you hear? Yep, come on. Shark week. Shark week. Yes, Shark Week. I like that. What else? 
the Super Bowl. What else? I know there's more than just two things in this room. Listen, one of the things that we've got to remember is that these holy days don't happen in a vacuum. All right? The scheduling of them is the key. Right? So I, I want to give you an example in my life because it has been transformational for me. About a year and a half ago, I was, uh, we were still kind of in the pandemic, um, and I was having coffee out on the back porch at the Mac, which is the doors to the Mac, that little porch back there. I was having coffee with a couple of friends of mine. These people have become my people in the last two years. And we were just, we were talking about a hundred different things, TV shows that we were hooked on, the Nevers. And, you know, so things that we wanted to watch and things that we were talking about. And then um, Courtney, who, who some of you may know, Courtney Stevens asked me a question. She said, hey, what do you do on Fridays? And I said, well, Fridays is usually the day that I button up everything for the weekend. And she said, would you want to maybe come down to the library and do a preschool science story time. Because she ha I have grandchildren, so she had me at preschool. I love science. And story time, I could get behind that. I said, you know, and she said, this, just until we find somebody. Just until we find somebody, which most of you all know what that means. <laughs> but I said, sure, why not? So I jumped right in. Um, Brian, have you got some pictures, I think, back there? This is what it looks like for me every Friday at 11.30 in the morning. These are my friends. There are a bunch of them, and we have fun every Friday. And there's one kid in particular that comes to me every week. That's him. That's, uh, that's Jackson. And Jackson and I, this is how we end every Friday. We dance down to the end of the room. That's how we end it. This, for me, is a holy moment every week. And in the reason that it's a holy moment every week is because these are my people. They have become my people. There's life there. I don't know if you've ever had a chance. I know, Carla, you have had a chance to be around little bitties at the library. But every time you see one of those little bitties and you read a story to them or you um, like for me, when I do a science experiment with them, and this is the face they make, there's life there. There's life there. And it is mostly because we're doing it together. And that there's a consistency to it. Here's a couple of things I want you to remember. How do we do this? How do we find these things? How, what do, how do we know that we found a holy moment or a holy day that, that is consistent? How do we know that we found it? Well, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. One, I just said, look for your people. If you're in the midst of your people and it's life-giving to you, that's a holy moment. That's a holy day. It's a day that God shows up with you and your people and he envelops you. And he loves you. And you get to be loved and to love all at the same time. That's a holy day. Look for joy. You just saw in that picture a minute ago, that's joy. 
That's Jackson's version of joy for sure. Laughter, joy. Look for things that bring joy into your moment, whether it's a celebration of something, birthdays, you know, whatever. Every year this week, um, we celebrate what we call at my house, baby birthday palooza. I have four grandchildren. Three of them were born within a two-week period. Uh, well, birthdays within a two-week period. Two of them were born literally two weeks apart, and then the third one was born a year later. So we have three birthdays in, in a week and a half. So we celebrate all the birthdays at one time. Yesterday was the first one. Tuesday's the next one. The following Saturday's the next one. There's joy there. There's joy in us getting to watch them. There's joy in them getting to be with their cousins. Two of them live in Boston, so they don't get to see each other a whole lot. But the joy that they're together, that's a holy moment. Look for joy in the midst of that. Um, look for what God's doing in you and around you. If we want more holy experiences in our life, we have got to stay curious for them. We've got to look for them. It's not just, it's just not in God's character to stay idle. And when we stay curious after his possibilities, we find them because they're there. We just got to look for them. The final thing to be on the lookout for, to kind of watch for is look for something worth remembering that differs from the ordinary or needs to be rescued from the ordinary. Look for something that kind of sticks in your head, that stays with you. Something that needs to be rescued from the ordinary. Um, I think one of the things that, that for me, that, that um, I always try to rescue from the ordinary for me is when we come to the table. I think sometimes we get a little complacent with communion. We just think that's just another thing we're going to do today. Oh, you know, we do it once a month. Um, I think it's more than that. And I think that we have an opportunity for a holy moment that is individualized. It's different every time. Every time we come to the table together to uh, partake of the supper, uh, if you will. Um, it's a meal. It was the last meal Jesus chose to, to have with his folks, with his people. He found his people. He took something that had become ordinary and he made it extraordinary. He made it special. He made it a holy moment. Um, one of the things that we have, um, I, I serve on a couple of different teams. One of the teams that I serve on is uh, what we call our creative team. And it's a team that uh, for the Melrose campus and for the online service, we plan the services. We kind of come together with each other and, and plan what they're going to look like and what that special moment can be week to week, to week and week in and week out. And one of the things that we use a lot in that, and we've all, we've all got a copy of it, I think now, is um, a book called Every Moment Holy. And I want to read a piece from that book. This is not what's on the, don't put this on the screen, Brian. Um, I kind of added a little more of it. Um, well, what this does is this has liturgies in it for all kinds of things that we may or may not ever think about having a liturgy for. 
Um, and this liturgy, this kind of prayer is uh, called a liturgy for feasting with friends. As an Italian, that's what we do. We feast with friends. We eat with friends. It's when you gather with friends, the first thing you got to have, you got to figure out what you're going to eat and how long you're going to be together and how much you're going to eat while you're in that, how long. So if you're there more than two hours, you're eating twice. It's a feast. And so uh, this particular liturgy is, is one that I love and I think is very appropriate for what we're going to do here today. So let, allow me to, to read this over us and then we will come to the table. To gather joyfully is indeed a serious affair. For celebrating in all enjoyments gratefully taken are at their heart acts of love. And in celebrating, we declare that evil and death, suffering and loss, sorrow and tears will not have a final word. But the joy of fellowship and the welcome and comfort of friends new and old and the celebration of our blessings through conversation and laughter are the true evidences of things eternal and are the first fruits of that great glad joy that is to come and that will be unending. So let our celebrations be joined to those sure victories secured by Christ. Let them to be to us a delight and a glad foretaste of his eternal kingdom. Bless us, O Lord. In our celebration. Bless us, O oh Lord, as we linger over our cups, over our tables, laden with good things, as we relish the delights of varied textures, flavorful aromas of savory spices, of dishes prepared as acts of love, and blessing of sweet delights made sweeter by the communion of saints. May our celebrations fall like a great hammer blow against the brutal night, shattering the gloom, reawakening our hearts, stirring our imaginations, focusing our vision on the kingdom of heaven that is to come, on the kingdom that is promised, on the kingdom that is already indeed among us. For the resurrection of all good things has already joyfully begun. And as we now move to the table, I want to ask you a question. Can today be a holy moment for you? Can this somehow be different and be uh, more flavorful than the past? John Wesley called coming to the table um, a, um, a moment of grace. He called it uh, the means of grace. One of the ways that God can present himself to you in this moment. So I want to invite you to that holy moment today. And um, so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that he was having a holy moment with his friends and his colleagues, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father he broke the bread, 
handed it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks and praise to the Father. He gave it to his disciples and said, take, drink, all of you. This is my blood that will be poured out for you and for all people so that sins may be forgiven. Every time you drink this, remember me. And so, as we prepare to come to the table and come to remember Jesus, would you, uh, those that are going to be serving communion, if you'll come forward. Um, we take communion by intention here. I'm going to make sure I don't get this wrong. You'll be handed a piece of bread, and then you dip that bread into the cup. Um, we'll also have gluten-free elements somewhere, maybe. There will be gluten-free elements, I promise. Um, but if you will, as we prepare to come to the table, to enjoy each other's company, to enjoy each other's life together, would you pray with me? God, we come to the table today grateful. We come to the day excited and expectant of what you can and will do in this moment, this holy moment together. So God, bless these elements. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we too may be forgiven. God, we're grateful that we get to be with you, that we get to be part of what you're doing, and we get to do it together. God, we love you, we honor you, and we worship you today because you indeed are holy. And it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that all of God's children said together, Amen, amen. and Amen.